Do money matches take priority over casual sets? The FGC Twitter has been ablaze over this extremely important issue. Plus, we discuss the infamous Evo Grand Finals Sonic Fox side switch, our week one impressions of G and Sagat, some important fighting game tips on the basics, and more in this week's episode of the Event Hubs podcast. Perfect. Well, good morning or afternoon or evening, depending on when you are listening to this. It is episode, I'm not even sure, of the Event Hubs podcast. We've been doing this for a few months now, and and I gotta say, uh, it's been a lot of fun. I've been getting a lot of good feedback about it uh, from when you know when we go to majors and such and talk to people. And uh, and I just want to start this whole thing with a thank you for those of you that have been listening thus far. We've had a ton of fun doing it. We're, we're looking forward to doing it more and ramping it up in different ways. My name is John. My co-host is John, although he spells his name slightly incorrectly without the H. How are you doing today, John? I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, first day of school for my sons and uh, going back and all that. And uh, so a little bit of a wild ride. Uh, for those of you who don't have kids and uh, want to see some of the most shocking things you'll ever see, like just go hang out on a playground uh, at like <laughs> any kind of typical public school for a little while. And you will see some of the most brutal and insane stuff you will ever see in your life kind of thing. So, <laughs> Do you ever like volunteer and, and spend like a day or a half of the day with your, yeah, uh, your kids' yeah, classes? Yeah. I, I try to do that like every now and again, you know, uh, when I have free time and whatnot. So spend some time with the kids. And yeah, it's um, – woo, yeah, you, you will see like you just will be in shock and awe with, with the, some of the stuff that goes on out there. But uh, but yeah. Kind of so. like what happens with the FGC in these days. There's a lot of, uh, yeah. a lot of drama actually. Mm going on over the last week or so, um, and a couple of topics that we're going to get to. But man, the FGC has been more or less pretty uh, pretty mean girlsy. if you've ever seen that movie. Uh, that's kind of the way I've been describing it. Um, a lot of just uh, not, not great looks. And so uh, I won't go too far into detail now because we're going to jump into all that, but you got the list of stuff we want to talk about right in front of you. So why don't you kick us off with uh, topic number one? Yeah, um, we wanted to get into money matching versus casuals. It was a subject that came up here that it, it basically if you're playing casuals at a tournament and someone has a money match that's going on, you should clear out, you know, kind of thing and, and make way for the people that are, you know, have money on the line, basically. And and there's two schools of thought here. Basically, it's like, hey, you know, wait your turn like everyone else are, you know, money matches are a, a priority. And so you should, you know, clear out for whoever wants to do it, basically. And I come more from the old school. It's not my opinion. It's just it's actually always what I've done. But if I'm playing on a, on a system and someone's like, hey, yeah, we're going to do a money match, like I would actually clear out like, yeah, hey, let's finish up and, you know, give it to these other people and let them go. And I'm not saying it's the right thing to do, but it's how I was raised in the FGC, you know, kind of thing. And so I... I it's blown up into a big discussion, basically. So this started, and I don't, I don't know if you have the tweets and the uh, the people in front of you. I, I think um, someone uh, talked about this, saying that you know if people are playing casuals, that the other people pl- wanting to play a money match don't take precedence over the people that are playing casuals. They're not. It's not within their right to urge them off the station or kick them off the station. And then Chris T in his infinite 22 year old ish wisdom, uh, who, who I will say quote unquote grew up in the same kind of environment that you and actually I, uh, you know, grew up in, uh, said, no, that's not the way it is. The way it is, is 
if someone's doing a money match, they get priority, they get to play, and it blew up into this huge Twitter thing where the FGC couldn't stop talking about it, arguing about it. Um, the idea of of there being like a higher status because money's on the line, which is <laughs> technically we're not even supposed to be doing that kind of stuff. I mean, unless I guess you're in Vegas or something like that. Um, but well, yeah, actually, I mean, um, the gambling laws now with uh, <clears throat> pro sports are kind of uh, going by the the way of the dodo. So um, <clears throat> yeah, that makes sense. Technically, technically illegal. Technically, I don't think anyone cares anymore at this point no. in time. But yeah, I digress. We don't even have to say bison bucks anymore. Just yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's good to that point. So, um, gosh, I, I feel like, well, we talked about this a few days ago. The entire Event Hubs team just kind of touched on it, deciding whether or not we wanted to even kind of cover it in, a, in at least an article and story form. And, and I got to say, at least from my point of view, I think the whole thing is pretty stupid. I'm, I'm, I'm approaching this with a lot of like, ugh, this is just dumb. There are more important things to talk about in life. And there is no set in stone rule. And there's no enforcer to a rule, but to this alleged rule that doesn't exist. Because you can't have referees standing around regulating casual stations and such. It's really going to come down to a law of the jungle uh, type of thing where people are going to do what they're going to do. And those that are going to be more pushy in these instances are going to be the ones that get to play more games. That's what's actually going to happen. What should happen... uh, well, again, no written rule, but what should happen, in my opinion, uh, and I think the thing that people can align with most easily and quickly is people should just be respectful of each other. And and that means if there's a money match going on and you don't mind, it's, a, it's your prerogative to say, you know what, yeah, you can jump in or you can respectfully say, well, no, we're going to finish our set and then you can jump on and try to kick off the winner. And then if you do that, then you can play you know, with the other person. Uh, and it, it just comes down to respectful interactions with each other and negotiations but there is no set in stone rule that says one thing takes precedence over another there's an argument to be made on both sides but i i think the idea that we would try to iron this down and say that there's a right or a wrong here or that you know outside of the idea of just respecting one another is silly yeah it's if it becomes a bigger thing i think that you'll see to's like you put in the rule book for, you know, tournament, like, hey, casual stations are set up this way. Like, you can run, like, a three out of five, or you can run, you know, your 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 sets this way. But, you know, be respectful of others, do this kind of stuff. I think we can get some rules in place if we really need them. But we haven't traditionally needed them in the past. And uh, damn it, I, let's not get to the point where we need that much regulation. Like, let's right, be grown-ups a little right. bit, guys. <laughs> I mean, I, and, and, and I'm coming... It's the I don't know if I want to be grown-up at the FGC, man. I want to, you know, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're all Toys R Us kids. Just kidding. <laughs> R.I.P. Toys R Us. Uh, no, the... Um, the thing is, like, I grew up, uh, when I say grow up, I mean, like, my early experiences in the competitive scene and, and like, the way things were was exactly that. It, it was that if there was a money match, it did take priority and no one had issue with it. Or at least no one voiced an issue with it. But that was also kind of a different time in that there were a lot more money match rooms where it was a given that the purpose of a room, like at a hotel where a, ma- a major was yeah. going on, um, was for money matches. And it was usually for people to uh, play against top players. Uh, and, and it would kind of more or less be you get you pay to play against a top player because you're probably going to lose. <laughs> and uh, yeah. But you got the experience. You got to say, hey, I, I, I threw down against Infiltration or Punk or whatever or, um, you know, whoever. 
whomever. And, and, and if you guys ever hear the term salty sweet, that's basically kind of what it is. Um, it, it's and I I could be wrong here, but I I remember Gutex actually kind of having like the most infamous uh, salty sweet. Get another thing that Gutex and Mike Ross kind of helped like make popular in the FGC uh, among their list of like five billion other things they've done. Uh, but that's kind of where that terminology comes from. So if you ever hear salty sweet or you know going back like you know uh, hotel room. Um, uh, that sounds really dirty right now, and I can't back out of that. But anyway, um, that's usually what people are going to do is play sets back there and whatnot. There's a lot of action that happens outside of a tournament. Right. And, and it's it's there's so much more to do there. And that's a lot of new people to tournaments. They kind of go to a tournament and they're like, they go, you know, oh, and two, like one fourth, I think, of the, the tournament players go oh, and two. And then they're kind of done. And it's like, there's so much other action if you kind of know where to go. And unfortunately, that's, uh, yeah, it's kind of where some of this stuff comes in at. Well, here's the thing, is that it used to be, and I, I think I've talked about this before, but it used to be that at a major event, if you wanted to play casuals, there weren't, there wasn't really a setup um, down at the uh, at the venue. Um, it was just that you walked along the halls and you listened for buttons, and then you'd knock on a door and you and you'd find, you know, if there were people playing the game that you wanted to play and and whatnot, or or you had friends that say, yeah, we'll be in this room or that room, and then there would, you know, the, people would just amass in in certain rooms and whatnot, and sometimes so much so that there'd be noise complaints and whatnot, but. That isn't happening as much anymore. There are still salty sweets, especially at the bigger tournaments, but those become very VIP very quickly. And again, it becomes like top players and things like that. And so the opportunity to play is certainly not there as much, which I think is a big motivator as to why this conversation about casuals and money matches came up in the first place. It's because the casual players don't have as much opportunity. So uh, that that space uh, at casual stations down at the actual venue in the area where people are actually playing um, uh, like communally is uh, is become a little bit more sacred and a little bit more um, sought after because there's not as much there's not as many rooms. And so I think that's what's driving this whole conversation. And so, yeah, I guess, okay, so I guess if that's the case, then a conversation should be had really quick. But to me, you just, as soon as you think about it for two seconds, you go, all right, well, we all need to get along and, and get on with each other because we're all here in the same FGC doing the same thing. And we can we can appreciate that, like, say, hey, you're you're a top player like Chris T and you want to do your money matches. You also know that there are the people that went 0-2 and, and such and that are just here to do casuals. And that this is their opportunity. They paid money to get to this event as well. So you yeah. acknowledge them. If you're that person, you acknowledge, hey, Chris T wants to play some money matches and try to make some money. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll let him do that. And you guys just be nice to each other. And that's the only answer that I can see in all of this. We just, you know, play nice because you know how to and you can. Don't be a dick. Move on with your life. Yep. Uh, it's pretty simple on, on that front. So uh, one of the things I wanted to get into now is uh, Little Majin's run at Evo, actually. And so this is, uh, it was actually one of the more impressive runs I've seen in Tekken 7. Uh, he kind of, I mean, he's always been a solid player. He's placed in multiple tournaments, but he got third overall uh, at Evo. And it was kind of, uh, he just, he, he caught fire, basically. And, and what happened is when he was playing uh, one of his matches, uh, he had some, some wall combos that basically dropped. And... It was just very unfortunate because it's not the kind of situation where where like the combo would normally drop. And I, I think it was Markman or Eris uh, that was on a commentary at the time. They're like, man, that's just like you hate to see that kind of thing happen. Very unfortunate. Um, yeah, very unfortunate because it's like 
like one out of every like a hundred times I'm, I'm kind of you know making a number up it's rare that that this stuff drops and and so what happened is he kind of fell apart like his mental game was so sharp and he was doing so well and, and he had a few you know wall combos drop like about like two or three times and you could just kind of see by his play style and his body language like everything shifted from him and, and it's not like we, we talk about recovery in fighting games and we talk about, you know, mental guard breaks and whatnot, and how difficult they are to, to overcome and, and why the top players are so good is oftentimes because they're able to recover from this stuff very well. Um, it, it was just it was just disheartening to see it. And it was it's so important, like when you're playing fighting games, like fighting games have a lot of BS in them. Like you're always going to get hit by something that you're just like, what the hell? You know, kind of thing. Like, well, why did you throw that out? Or, or why did I not block that? That was dumb. Like, ah, you know, kind of thing. And, and just being able to reset yourself and, and mentally just kind of check out and then check back in and say like, Hey, yeah, that happened. It was a fluke, you know, whatever. I, I'm going to let go of it and, and go. And it, it's much easier said than done because that mental edge that you have to have at the highest level of plays is super, super sharp. It is, it's not like, you know, you can go up against a, a JDCR or Saint or, or Low High or QDANs or anyone like that and be like, oh, hey, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to like, you know, be at 75% of my mental, you know, abilities and take you out. It's like, no, you've got to be at 100% these guys are so sharp and so capable that even that 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 mental doubt that starts to creep in and, and and you're you're starting to uh, creep in I should say you're starting to think about other things besides how to beat your opponent and when that happens you start your whole gameplay starts to fall apart and then you'll have more things go wrong and it starts to snowball and that uh, Seth Killian is infamous for saying that mental guard break basically and, and and so if you guys get a chance to go back and actually watch little Majin's like uh, Tekken 7 run like he just he came out of nowhere he was um, putting on a lot of theatrics and stuff in the tournament like he was really you know hamming it up and having a great time uh, and it was just it was amazing to watch and then like you watch a set against Hugh Dance and it's it's he just completely falls apart part uh, after those two wall drops happen like he looks like he, he has a shot of beating him you know getting potentially second or first place in the tournament um and then it just it fell apart for him and, and it was just like ah, oh, that yeah. is it's not as it's not as an apparent or tangible or visual part of the entire process but it's very real a player's mental state and it's something that i think everyone's more or less aware of but to the degree that you're aware of it and that you pick up on it um, I mean, it, that takes some conditioning. And to, it, like you're saying here, the uh, the momentum and such and like the crowd behind you um, and, and then obviously your own performance, where you are in your own head, that um, space of, of mental uh, fortitude, I guess we can call it, is so, uh, it, it's so, it can fluctuate so easy. Mm -hmm. It's volatile. And the idea of even thinking about it in and of yes. itself <laughs> will throw you off. Um, you know, you get in the zone, you can very easily get out of the zone just by thinking about the zone. And how easy is that mm -hmm. to do? Don't play the game. You all just lost the game. Boom. And you just lost to JDCR because, you know, you got in your own head. It's that quick and that easy. And the best players, um, I don't know that they never get into it. Actually, I do know. Tokido talked about this. He talks about meditation, and I think I've brought this up before, but hey, it's good advice, and so you're going to hear it again. He talks about how when you meditate, you're trying to kind of um, focus on one thing, usually your breathing, but it's to get most everything else out of your mind. And then, mm -hmm. so while you're doing that, something might trickle in, a noise or someone else or a distraction or your own thought that you don't want to have in the moment. 
and you go, well, that's kind of a little bit of a failure. And what do I go from here? Well, do you dwell on it? Do you think about it and basically perpetuate the situation? Or do you say, all right, that was a little blip. It was a mistake. Uh, erase that and go right back to what I was doing. And he compares that to when you're playing fighting games as well. When you mess up, when your opponent does something wonky and it works, when you drop a combo, when the wall interaction doesn't go your way, whatever it is, you acknowledge it and you wipe it away and you move on back on the same track, not dwelling on that because it's one of the many and most uh, terrifying ways that you can get thrown off track as a player. So and, and I, I just wanted to throw in there, since we're talking about Tokido, like you, you missed one of the biggest ones. You take a break in grand finals. Oh, and well, the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're going to get into that in a minute. I'm sorry, but I could not resist. But, but yeah. Well, there's your segue right into it. Yeah. Last, we're going to it now. Well, uh, yeah, actually, um, uh, so we were going to talk here about uh, Dragon Ball Fighters, the, the grand finals here of Evo. Uh, and this is Goichi versus Sonic Fox. Mm -hmm. And. To take you guys back here a little bit, uh, Goichi goes up 3-0 on Sonic Fox. Uh, Sonic Fox is in the winter side of Grand Finals, or was, uh, and gets knocked into losers. And there's this big break, and everyone's kind of sitting around like, hey, you know, like, what's going Oh, that's another Grand Finals, you know, reset break and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And um, Sonic Fox actually requests a, a side switch, of all things. And... Um, it's uh, it, you don't see it like I okay I mean this is like how often we don't see this in the fighting game community anymore we used to see it all the time but uh it, it it's like the Evo staff got up there and they're they're like side switch like what do we do you know <laughs> like everyone's standing around like hey like uh, what is this and I, I think like people are looking up in the rule book like can he do that like this request? came yeah. up at Evo multiple times uh, obviously the the most um, known instance was what you're talking about right here but i was sitting down watching a friend play pools against veggie and th like i've never really seen this before the idea of picking a side and having a preference is is a very real and it's an understandable thing but i've never really seen anyone talk about it or argue over it and whatnot but they're like hey my, my friend sean was like hey do you mind if i play on player one side and veggie looks right. up and he goes you want to rock paper scissors for it and they just figured it out right there they rock paper scissored and that was it and uh and veggie won and then he ended up winning the uh, the match as well but i was like wow that's interesting i had never thought of a you know to, to do something like that or to care that much about this although the stakes are very high it's evo so everyone's you know caring about the little nitpickiest things oh, yeah. um, and then here we <laughs> just after i see that the next day or two later we see it in grand finals and it becomes a story that people are talking about that, that the side's so important um yeah. yeah side switches like back in the day used to be a huge deal in the fighting game community i and, and the reason why is most people when they played they go into arcade mode well that's all that existed in arcade mode in arcades and you play against a computer for you know an hour or however long and whatnot until someone would finally show up and you'd have some competition and so a lot of people got used to the one player side. I mean, it's you know it's a default. That's where you start at and whatnot. Uh, my friend, actually, a childhood friend who like was a training partner, and he's not really into fighting games anymore. But we were joking about this when it happened, and he was like, "Yeah, it's like he's like that's why I always trained under the second player side because everyone always wanted to have the first player side." And I'm like, "Okay, fine. I'm gonna get really good at the side that no one likes to have." And anyway, um. So that's kind of where all the memes and stuff have come from. Like you get your execution down, like there's some mental advantages and whatnot. If you know that you can only land a great combo uh, on, you know, the left player side, like that's the side you're going to want. And uh, Marn was actually infamous for Zero uh, in Ultimate Marvel versus Capcom 3. Like he could do the lightning loops, but he could only do it like on the left <laughs> or right player side. And I mean, Marn's execution is really good, but I mean, 
you start getting reputations and whatnot. And even if you're, you know, even if you're like only 75% as good or 80, 90, whatever percent as good as, you know, one side or the other, like that's, that's a mental hurdle that you've got to think about. Cause now instead of that combo being, you know, just kind of automatic or whatever, and you're going to pull it off and I'm going to die cause you're zero and you suck, but um, <laughs> you're, um, you you're you're in your own head a little bit you know kind of think you've got someone thinking about it now and that's kind of like i think that was part of sonic fox's like tactic there is like hey goichi just pieced me out like 3-0 like and it wasn't particularly close either you know kind of thing like goichi was kind of on fire he had good momentum uh and and then all of a sudden like he's like okay let's switch sides and, and do all this kind of stuff and take a nice break and you know talk about the rules here for a minute or two and goichi starting to think about all this stuff and whatnot like he really broke his momentum. Gives him a moment to get in his own head, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. And and I don't know if, if Sonic Fox's you know uh, execution is better on the first player side or not, or what happens here uh, in the future. I would definitely use that tactic back on him and like you know rock paper scissors and make him you know be on the second player side just to prove it, you know, kind of thing, just to kind of you know use it and and see what happens. You know, it's you're going up against one of the best fighting game players on the planet. You need everything you can get to beat him. Uh, but uh, but yeah, and, and so anyway, Sonic Fox comes back, beats Goichi three zero. Wins Evo 2018 Dragon Ball Fighters tournament like uh, it, it was it was great you know kind of thing it's to me it just goes back and we've we've discussed this on the pod before and I, I so I won't go into it very heavily it's just it's a classic like pro sports like I'm gonna ice the kicker in football you know kind of thing or I'm gonna take a timeout in basketball because the Warriors have just hit five three pointers in a row and I'm tired of it and I'm gonna call timeout and hopefully that you know ices them a little bit and it's it's now we're seeing it in fighting games and there's there's a game within the game. It's like, okay, you might be better than me on most occasions, but guess what? I have a timeout I can throw out here. And now like now I can put more pressure on you. I can I can make you think about how well you're doing and can you could now can you keep that momentum going? Now the pressure's on you to keep it going. I want you thinking about this. And it's like, hey, you know what? It's it's all is fair in love and war, right? And in fighting games. And, um, and, and and again, it's like, as long as you're not doing anything like, you know, really, you know, outlandish and whatnot, like, I love this stuff. I, I love the the outside of the game meta that people have to play now, you know, kind of thing. And I know some people are against it, but I, I'm personally a fan. Uh, quick uh, little aside here. When I played, uh, well, okay, so you remember how Infiltration was famous for a minute about for uh, taking out his phone and looking at his notes <laughs> yes, yes, in between matches and such? He would, like, study notes, and people were like, oh, my gosh. it's Because, I mean, obviously, he was winning a lot. He had a lot of uh, celebration around him. And so when he was doing that, that's just yet another thing that people talked about, and it was interesting. And it turned some people on to doing it himself. But that also would take an extra second or two um, when you were back, you know, on the character select screen in between rounds and such. I played Infiltration at Evo 2014, I think it was, and um, he beat me the first game, and then I beat him the second game, and, uh, well, I, I stopped in between the second and third game, and I did, like, ten push-ups, <laughs> and it wasn't, like, <laughs> what? the main reason, there's footage of it, because like, I don't think you can okay. see me doing the push-ups, but there, I stopped, and I did them, and I, and I would do that, I've done it before, I think I've done it on stream at Wednesday Night Fights, and the reason is not mainly to ice, the reason is because... You get really anxious, and right. and doing those push-ups exerts some of that energy. And also, there was a time where we were trying to also get in shape while playing fighting games, so like right. losers would do push-ups right. and such. So I kind of associated it and whatnot. But uh, so I stopped and I did ten push-ups, and 
I've also felt like that was a really uh, douchey move, kind of, um, because it's like you are icing him and there's all this momentum and such. But I definitely did stop, you know, his momentum and whatnot. And and like, you know, I mean, it's it's a legitimate thing. And who knows? Maybe that was the make or break that that wound up, you know, getting the result that we did, because I I came back and I ended up winning that set. And uh, so so I've thought about that often. And as these other things come up, I wonder if that was just a a, like because I mean, I did it for the sake of getting rid of that extra anxiety and and exerting some of that extra energy that's building up while your adrenaline's rushing. Right. And it's Evo, so like the gloves are off, all the little tactics, all the little like everyone has their rabbit's foot and their lucky right. underwear that they haven't changed for six days or whatever and and play on player two side versus player one or whatever, you know, like every little tactic comes out. So yeah, it's interesting, but <laughs> this kind of stuff, man, every little thing might be the cam the, the straw that broke the camel's back, so I had no idea you did this. Like, I, I'm mm-hmm. sitting here, like, flabbergasted. Like, I'm like, really? Like, okay, I, I have to ask now. Like, we're going we're gonna to change hats here a little bit. I'm going to start interviewing you about this because sure. this is amazing. Uh, what was his reaction like? Like, did he? Did you he, notice? That? Yeah, he didn't say anything, and and he and I are cool. We'll say hi and stuff, right. and he'll use and Van Hub's number one, and I'm like, yeah, infiltration oh. number one. Oh, okay. Um, that's yeah. a little interaction that we tend to do uh, when we when we hang out and or when we see each other at majors. We only hang out like once or twice outside of that. But so mm-hmm. we're we're cool with each other. So it's not like who the hell is this guy doing right. this dumb thing? Uh, but I I have to imagine that there was a little bit of that where he kind of just rolls his eyes. He didn't do that from what I saw. Uh, but also, again, there it's Evo, it's intense. I'm playing like the the guy that won the whole thing. I think it was two years previous because he won in 2012. Right. So you can't really point the finger too much at someone right. that's doing these goofy, crazy things when the stakes are that high, and and then the result happens. So it's like, well, sure, whatever, whatever gets it to work. Um, I I think that he's cool with it. I do remember when I was playing him. At a final round, I guess this would have been in 2015, and we were doing the team tournament. So it was him, Kazunoko, and Kitasetsu DJ, and we were, and I was teamed up with Brent and Chris T. And I played first, and I ended up um, OCVing their team. It was only one game each, uh, but that was uh, I was I was talking a little bit of smack because we were we were kind of on a roll, and we right. may have been under the influence of some stuff while playing and such. <laughs> yeah, um, we're, keep that up, keep that under wraps. Yeah, yeah. No, just like yeah, you know, it was all it was all legal stuff. Just you know, it's, it's, right. We were right, having legal. fun. Yeah. yeah, we were having fun, and um, and. And so, but I was, I was definitely talking some smack and he, at one point he kind of like goes stop. And I, I don't know if he was like saying stop, like, man, I, I'm enjoying this and you're being goofy and stop it. Cause you're beating us or stop. This is so cringeworthy and, and just, just, you know, win with dignity or whatever, you know, but, right. uh, right. so yeah, so interesting times doing goofy stuff whilst playing, but also fun times, and I guess we're talking about nowadays. Yeah, I, I, I'm just envisioning myself like playing someone at Street Fighter, and and it would just completely depend on like you know the mindset, and, like atmosphere in the room. But if they stopped and started doing push-ups, I'd either like start laughing or I'd be incredibly pissed yeah, off. I'm yeah. not sure which well, one. Hey, man, if it gets in your head, and then we play, <laughs> that's 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 what that is. You know, like it yeah, works out. I mean, so whatever. I'm gonna have to start doing push-ups too. I, I mean, mean, that's you it. See like Tokido yeah. doing running in place. You know why he does? I mean, he doesn't necessarily do that in between games, right, but right. but he does that to like get rid of that extra energy to keep the blood flowing and such. Like you can't rag on people's 
uh, you know, people's rituals and such, as long as right. they're not <laughs> calling people in between rounds or whatever, and <laughs> then you can call clock on them. There's regulation to it, but I mean, anything goes for the most yeah. part. Yeah, it's a, a old school arcade story, but like when you would lose a round, you would like you would do the the pacing kind of thing. Like you'd walk away from the joystick and kind of like pace around for like you know it's five seconds or whatever. You wouldn't have much of an opportunity to do much else, and um and yeah, you would you would get a breather basically, you know, type thing. And it's all these little rituals that we do between matches and whatnot. It's just so funny. And I love that in, in the evil rules that we, we read last week, they're like, Hey, you can't do things like, you know, kick out the other person's stool, you know, kind of thing and make them fall on their butt. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I, I think that kind of goes without saying, but I mean, I'm glad that's in there because it's just evidence of like the, the shenanigans that the fighting game community pulls well, off. Cause you know, when it happens, like, then yeah. we're going to need to be, have a rule book thing, yes. a bullet point in the rule book about it <laughs> so that we can go back to that. And, yeah. Uh. There, there's traditionally history behind this stuff. That's how rules are often made, you know, kind of thing. It's uh, even in the NBA and NFL, it's like, Hey, you you know, you, you can't take off your, your ice skate and, like, try to stab someone with it and whatnot. Like, I bet, like, someone did that. I know Happy Gilmore, but damn it. Like, I bet someone did that at some point. They're like, look, you can't do that. It's not okay. Well, it's not the rules. Like, I don't, I thought I could, you know. You yeah, know, and if yeah. they're going to let, like, hockey players fight like they do, it's like, well, who's to – I mean, it's not a far cry or a stone's throw away from – taking off your skate and trying to stab somebody with it so i wasn't gonna try to kill him i just wanted to stab him in the arm you guys let us fight why not you know where is the line drawn so i get it and i guess oh, the fighting man. game community like we said can be slightly immature at times and so perhaps it's for the best that we have these kind of rules so <laughs> this is the best stuff ever man i i don't know how often this happens in other communities but like just the the, the theatrics and like the childish nature of the fighting game community sometimes i love it like it's it's so ridiculous and we we're so serious about these games like our dedication and, and our mindset and everything like that and yet like at the end of the day we're all like you know giant kids running around playing this stuff and whatnot so well so, yeah. i mean yeah and i won't go too far into it because i know we have a lot more to talk about but you know it, it's more than just a game in the sense that it, it becomes competition and you you put part of yourself into these matches and into the characters and into the outcomes and your pride and your sense of accomplishment and and competition like it's a very real and very valid thing you know mm -hmm. so to for people that would go like well it's just a stupid game it's like yes it is a game yes that the outcome of this game in and of itself doesn't mean squat but what people invest into this and the seriousness that they bring to the table is a very real and valid thing and mm -hmm. and it's going to invoke these kind of emotions and reactions yeah uh yeah <laughs> All right, so we'll go ahead and move along now. Uh, I think we, we've, we've spoke about Grand Final Reset Breaks for quite some time. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, you know, we'll just... Uh, anyway, so uh, we, we have both been playing uh, G and Sagat a little bit. Um, uh, you, Sagat, quite a bit. Uh, I know uh, Dream Team's been playing G quite a bit. Um, both characters have actually appeared a lot online. And I kind of wanted to get into it now. We're on week two of both characters. Uh, what we're seeing... Uh, one of the things I ran into is I actually ran into a, a Master Rank Sagat uh, not that long ago, and I, I don't think Sagat's fireball zoning for most characters is that great because so many characters have great hard counters to, to fireballs, um, but I actually think his mid-range zoning is very good, uh, and, and that's kind of like what he has, like, people are calling him, like, you know, the, a worse version of Guile, you know, kind yeah, of thing. It's I'm like, afraid of that. 
Yeah, and I'm like, look, like his tools, like Guile's mid range tools are not that great. Like he can do a hop kick, he can do do his like you know back fist, all that kind of stuff. But he can't combo into stuff like Sagat can. Sagat's got his kicks and other things to really push you back and do his cancels and all that. He's got you know more range and and uh, his V trigger too. I think is actually quite nice. And, and um, oh man, something we were talking about a lot is like the angry scar, and that is the. Um, I compared it to like a fuse and whatnot because you see the angry scar come out and, and it's like, it's like you see it like light up and it's like going towards him like, Ooh, I, I've got an opening. I'm going to hit him, you know, kind of thing. And like it disappears and it like it suckers you in and like it baits you in and then you get DP'd and whatnot. It's like, it's so, um, I don't even place the got, but when that happens to me, like when I, when I get beat like by that, like, I, I honestly feel like, damn, that was cool. You know, kind of thing. It was like, it's satisfying even seeing that happen and whatnot. And I, and I think that, uh, I think Sagat's actually, he's around a mid-range character is what I'm seeing at, but I, I think a lot of people are approaching him the wrong way uh, because there's so few zoning characters in Street Fighter V and people are like, okay, well, I'm going to play him like Street Fighter Four Sagat. I'm going to sit back there I'm going to chuck plasma all day and, and there we go. And that works against some cast members like, you know, Alex Zangief, a few others that don't have great counters to fireballs. Well, Zangief until he pops V trigger until he has V trigger one on deck, and then he can there completely negate those fireballs. There you go. And, and so I think it's a good strategy, like for small parts of the match and whatnot. I play Manat. I know this very well. You can zone for parts of the match unless you're Justin Wong. Then you can zone the entire way. I don't know how he does it, you know, kind of thing. But um, generally, you have to go in. Even with Guile, you zone for a bit. You go in. I think that's what people are missing with Sagat so far. But but what are you seeing on your end? Well, there, that was a lot. There was a lot of things you just talked about. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. You know, I can, I can keep first, going for about 20 minutes. So, yeah, yeah, first things first. Uh, let's talk about that Angry Scar because I'm actually feeling like Angry Scar is either one of or the most fun thing I've done in Street Fighter V or part mm. of Street Fighter V um, thus far. And for those that aren't completely aware, that's where it's his V skill where he touches his scar and it takes a few, like a second and a half or something like that. And if he does it, then that powers him up for the next uppercut that he does. If it lands, it does like an additional 20 damage or so. Plus 30, 30 damage. Yeah. And oh, then it damage. has more juggle ability too. So. Okay. And, uh, and also, of course, builds his V gauge uh, if you land the uppercut successfully. It also adds like this flaming uh, quality to his fist where he's got mm -hmm. some fire with it. And the. So, so the the little mini game of setting up, doing an angry scar because it's it's often unsafe. So you have to, because I mean, he, he pauses, he can't block or anything, and he just does it for a minute with his animation. It's like doing a taunt essentially. Right. Uh, so you leave yourself open. So you got to kind of you pick your spot where you're going to do it. But the idea of first getting that angry scar status and then landing that uppercut is so satisfying and i think that that's one of the biggest successes that capcom did with sagat this time around they made him a very fun and and by the means of satisfaction character to play when you hit his moves they are bone crunching i'm not sure if the screen actually shakes but it feels like the screen shakes uh, you feel like you're really making some progress and that you probably earned what you're doing because his moves are pretty slow, so a lot of the stuff you have to kind of like set up or, or really really do with intent. But when you land his stuff, it's very rewarding. And I, it harkens back to the magic of Street Fighter 2, the fireballs and uppercuts, because that was what Sagat was back then. And that was, of course, he was one of the absolute best characters in the game back in like ST and such. Old Sagat, I should say. 
and and it was very fun just manipulating your opponent with fireballs and then uppercutting them when you manipulated them correctly and and have them jump at the wrong time and then you add the idea of an angry scar to that it's just so much fun and then uh <laughs> i didn't realize this because i guess i don't play with a lot enough volume but i was playing at a friend's house and uh he had the volume way too high and when you land sagat's critical art it ends with an uppercut there is a sound of a of a tiger that roars along with the <laughs> flaming body of your opponent that's coming back down to earth having just been absolutely demolished and every time those things land when you're playing with someone else it, it's it's more often than not someone will bring up man karen is dead right now or mm-hmm. she has like eight broken ribs or zeku there's no way he doesn't have a concussion you know and mm-hmm. and so it's something that like your your attention is drawn to these animations and these move interactions in a like i said a very satisfying way so that's one of the absolute successes that capcom has had with sagat and i remember seeing nick tanella's tweet i think it was yesterday saying and, and I, I assume this isn't tongue-in-cheek but he said I've been playing Sagat online, and this is the most fun I've had losing points, or something yeah. to that effect. Yeah. And 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 so, and I think that actually illustrates the character pretty perfectly, at least where he's at right now. Um, because yeah, it doesn't feel like in the realm of Street Fighter V, he's all that great because he is a zoner. He is a Street Fighter II esque character with some other Street Fighter V qualities. And by that, I mean things that that work in the realm and the pace and the style and the atmosphere of Street Fighter V, which is traditionally more rushdown, unless you have amazing zoning that that Mm -hmm. it's it's very difficult you have to be a very good zoner to even be part of the conversation otherwise you know it's it's just it's just not really there for you yeah and um because we've seen it be a problem with a lot of characters that try to do zoning but just can't um and then you have like guile and monat who have top 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 tier zoning and they do get the job done and that actually puts them into the top tier on the the tier list so so Uh, i i would just interject real quickly I think that both characters zoning is good, but I think it's their other areas of the game that make them top tier. But they also but, have yeah. offense. They yes. also are able to turn on that offense. And and that's the thing. Sagat has pretty good zoning and mm-hmm. pretty good offense, mm-hmm. but he one has a very hard time getting up next to you. First of all, he doesn't want to get up next to you. But when he does like Say he say he scores that uppercut, you know, he doesn't usually really have the option to move forward because he's so slow that you won't you he can't get into the position to actually pressure you most of the time unless he gets like a crush counter knockdown or something like that, or he's pushed you to the corner somehow. But it's few and far between the opportunities that Sagat tends to have just because of the way he's trying to play. He wants to play at like arm's length or more so yeah. that he can throw his tiger shots and manipulate you into that um zoning game. Uh, and so, again, it, it does feel like he's a not quite as good Guile in a lot of ways. Um, I don't think he's n- not viable, but I think he's going to be more of like a pocket character that comes out for certain matches, depending on the character people play. We'll be interested to see in how Bonchan um, does with him, if he brings him to the tournament scene, and how good and how fruitful his matches are for him. I know that Snake Eyes yesterday said on Twitter that he, he essentially just called Sagat flat out a worse guile. 
mm. and, and said that he's just any anything that Sagat can do, Guile can really do better. Now you mentioned the mid range game. Sagat yes. has slow but but very far reaching normals, mm-hmm. and and like there there's there's some good validity to doing things like crouching medium punch, which reaches really far, and it's got decent priority of being a medium punch, and you can buffer like a uh, a tiger knee into that. So like if they walk up into it, they'll get tiger knee. You'll get that combo, and that's really good damage for especially for a two hit combo. But also if you do it far enough. Uh, Tiger Knee can be safe and even plus. So mm-hmm. that's a very good tactic to like kind of buffer, you know, his normals out there. His normals. And one of the things I want to throw out there about Tiger Knee and why that's such a good move in Street Fighter Five is Street Fighter Five is not a game where you can sit back and zone all match and win. You know, kind of thing. Eventually, you're going to have to run in uh, either with a horizontal moving move like you know uh, Bison's like scissor kicks or, or balls like rush punch. Or most characters are going to dash in at some point. And and that's where Sagat's Tiger Knee is very powerful in this because I think you're going to come in and you can usually read timings and read you know some kind of rhythm of when it's going to happen and it's like guess what you just ate a Tiger Knee to the face and if you didn't if I spaced it correctly and timed it correctly I'm now either plus or I'm safe or I'm in a good position to to kind of counterbalance like what you're doing and that's yes. how come I feel very strongly that. If you're approaching Sagat as like the same character as Guile or similarly, Guile plays mostly from full screen when he's zoning. Like you he, he want to kind of be about as far away as you can because you can get your V skill, Sonic booms off. You can do all this kind of stuff. Plus, he has great anti airs that reach pretty far, uh, depending on which button you use and whatnot. He plays very well from like kind of like three four screen out. Um, he's not so much a mid range zoner. He can do it. Like he has his hop kip, kicks and all that kind of stuff. He can do it with. Where Sagat is a specialist from mid range like zoning. Where reacting to his tiger shots and reacting to what he can do is very hard from that close yeah um and and another thing like if you're playing sagat one of the things is you're gonna stick out that medium punch a lot you buffer it into that knee but that medium punch crouching medium punch also looks a lot like low tiger shot Mm -hmm. and you can use that to manipulate people jumping forward uh, so, so that just in what we've talked about so far, you can kind of get a picture of what playing Sagat is like and why it's it's as fun as I've said that it is. And so, I think there's a lot of validity in that by itself. Um, but like when you talk about the mid range, I do like that he's got some he's got a game there for sure. Mm-hmm. But his normals are very slow, and yes. uh, and you can whiff punish him a little easier than a lot of other characters in the game, and that's a thing too. Uh, so it, it I, I like Guile's mid-range game in that he has a lot of moves that move him forward mm-hmm. and uh, if spaced correctly they're like quicker tiger knees in, in the sense of how we were talking about tiger knee just a second ago with his bazooka knee with his hop kick um, you know his uh, he, he can manipulate you and, and a lot of his buttons are very strong for different reasons and have different uses in that mid-range game Guile has, I think, a better rushdown too. Once he yeah. uh, he gets yeah. in your face, he's got those fl- um, you know frame traps, and he can do like the upside down kick, things like that. So, well, it, and uh, what I, I to counterbalance is just like Sagat, like yeah, his his normals are slower, but he can cancel all those into his specials as well. You know, kind of thing. So when you're, you know, when you're approaching them, if you're doing a crouching medium punch or crouching uh, medium kick, you cancel into a fireball or, you know, depending on the range, like a tiger knee, you might be able to push the opponent out, space them out, get a combo, get some other stuff going where guiles like normals are typically the one off variety. Like, you know, you can do a counter hit uh, back fierce into, you know, super 
you can do a few things like that, but you have to have charge for a lot of that stuff. And he charges fast, but he doesn't charge like that fast where it's instant, where you have the complete freedom of kind of a footsie movement that you have with a more uh, motion-based character. Yeah. So a lot of Sagat's game, as we've said, comes down to zoning, him throwing fireballs and trying to manipulate you to jump forward, yes. uh, but at the wrong times. Now, we've talked uh, at length, both on the website and even here in the podcast, about the nature of Street Fighter V and how jumping in is is not that bad of a strategy you know i jumped in six times and it didn't work but it worked on the seventh and that's all i needed to score a bunch of damage and the momentum and now uh, sagat is not going to have an easy time in uh, playing that risk reward game because while his uppercuts are devastating and they do a decent amount of damage i don't know that they outweigh the risk of when he gets jumped in on because it's going to happen eventually Right. And and the fact that he can't that when he has a successful uppercut, it really just resets back to that zoning game. He gets his mm-hmm. 130 to 160 or so damage um, and then he's back in the zoning. And so like that has to happen a handful of times. That means there's a lot of opportunities for the opponent to jump in. And if they get one of those, it's a real pain for Sagat. He does have an EX reversal. So that is a saving grace. He's never completely out of it. But once people are on him, like his his answers are not that great. He's got no three frame. Um, it's a real hard time, and that and, risk and, reward game of Street Fighter Five does not really play in his favor. And and so I want to interject this because uh, of it's actually the same experience I went with, but not because I I'd hear people say like, oh, she's such a great zoner, and yeah, she is. But there's a part in Street Fighter Five where the risk reward of the game heavily shifts when your opponent has resources and when you do too because all of a sudden that jump in that you were doing that was doing you know 250 300 damage or whatever in normal circumstances now that does like 500 or 600 damage if you've got a critical art or some other way of like v triggering that and now the risk reward for jumping in is gigantic so what you want to do with the zoning characters is you want to when there's no resources on screen you have the advantage when you're zoning you know kind of thing you have to still be you know cognizant of, of your opponent's options but you can do quite a bit there and that's when Sagat like when resources come into play you have to transition into his mid-range game at that point if you're sitting back there and checking more plasma more than likely yeah you can do some stuff there for sure but the odds are starting to decrease that you're going to be successful on zoning in terms of how much life you're going to gain versus lose in terms of a bad read or a good read yeah, and so if you're thinking about playing Sagat or you're currently playing Sagat and you want to continue with him, just know that he is going to require, I think, a lot of constant thought and constant yeah. change. And, and I mean, that's true for any character, but if you don't do that with Sagat, you're not going to get free wins. Yes. Um, and there are some characters where it's easier to kind of like just force your battle plan and it's like, no, you need to know what to be doing where on screen at all times because the room for error isn't huge. It's not the worst thing. He's got a thousand life and a thousand health and, a, and an EX reversal, but or I should say an invincible reversal. But it's not, you can't play around with that. You have to have awareness and, and be doing the right thing at the right time because one slip up and it's it becomes very difficult for him. It's not a game ender, but it becomes very difficult. So Right now, I am leaning towards him being kind of not as good of a guile, but fun and worth playing if you enjoy it, and, and he's very enjoyable. And I think that I'll have him as a pocket character that I'll use against, like if I'm in tournament, I'll use him against players that I think um, I can get away with it, and it's not like I have to win right now. I, I can you know use him, and if I lose, I can go to Nikali or something like that. Or against certain matchups where I think that... Um, 
he just works well. But there are a lot of characters that have like kind of freebie passes through fireballs, sometimes using meter and whatnot, and and that becomes hell because then you're taking away from his biggest strength, and so it can be rough. But uh, but he is a lot of fun. I am happy with him in the game right now. I dare say that maybe his uppercut should do a little more damage because that would be what would make him good, like like more good. Mm-hmm. Um, but potential top five kind of a thing if we wanted him to be top five. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm happy with where he's at. I've been having a ton of fun playing him. And uh, and yeah, so good job, Capcom. Yeah, it, this is going to be the first time Sagat's like mid-tier and uh, on initial release in a Capcom fighting game. So so we'll see, you know, kind of think if that holds up or whatnot. But Sagat traditionally has been very, very, very good uh, in all the Street Fighter, you know, proper games type things. And then so, toned so down we'll later on, right? Yeah. So we'll see. I, I, I still have him as mid-tier, but I actually do want to get into that a little bit. Um, so I, I'm going to go back to this now, um, our infamous discussion of Season 3 characters and whatnot. Uh, we both sound like we have Sagat at mid-tier. So w- right now, where are you putting Falk, Sakura, and Blanca. Like, are are they all kind of like where they were before? Like, pretty Falk, low. Falk, I feel like is still unexplored because she's not inspiring people to fully flush her out. Um, but with where the amount that she's been explored right now, and what the little that I've seen of her, she's fairly low tier. Um, but like, v- because I don't have a ton of information on her, um, the the placing of her is not that detailed and not that exact. So floating around low tier is the best okay. answer I think I can give for Falk. Um, for Sakura, I feel like she had potential in um, like the combo damage output and like the range of her standing light kick. But it sounds like the her her strengths don't outweigh her weaknesses. Um, mm-hmm. And so and and I and we haven't seen a ton of prosperity in the uh, Sakura camp especially in tournament and whatnot so I feel like she has potential to be like mid-tier but with where she's at in the community right now she's still low tier and again uh, I guess not inspiring like she's more inspiring than Falk because she has a history and people like her as a character so that's going to get some people to pick her up and to um, me that's actually more damning for the characters I think people have given Sakura a decent chance in this game like because there's a number of people who love that character and uh, not to say she's fully explored and you know we know everything about her like we don't know that about any character Um, but it's it's pretty damning in terms of her kind of like end result that a number of people have tried to make her work and just have been unsuccessful so far. So. Yeah, um, I agree with that. Then Blanca. Blanca's interesting. He's better than those two. Um, we've talked about him before when we did the tier list and such, and I, I put him kind of smack dab in the middle because he operates with, uh, like, his main his main power, His main what he has going for him is he can put you in these scramble situations and kind of make you guess, and sometimes it's going to go his way. And on top of that, there aren't a ton of Blancas, so he's also getting away with a lot of gimmicks. Yeah. And so you combine those two things, and hey, that's going to buff him up even higher than mid-tier, but I think that's kind of a false above mid-tier. I talked to Wolfgang, who I had on um, the uh, Event Hubs versus our Street Fighter team at EVO in our exhibition, and he actually carried us to victory, beating uh, three of the uh, of the other five guys and, and ultimately finishing it off for us. And I asked him, you know, where is Blanca? And he said, just outside of top 10. And I think wow. he's had... Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, okay. and he's had the most success, maybe with the exception of Alex Valle, who beat mm-hmm. like Knuckle Dew at Evo and such, and has had decent success. I played Alex Valle's Blanca quite a bit, and that's actually the most Blanca practice I've had outside of just random online interactions and then playing Dream King a little bit when he was playing Blanca. Uh, but but Valle talked about him, and he said, you know, 
that's what he does. He gets in close and he scrambles with you. Yeah. And 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 there, you know, especially in Street Fighter Five with the damage output the way it is, like that's a fairly valid strategy, but that's not going to win tournaments. Mm-hmm. And and again, the the gimmicks of like not knowing, like like for instance, one of the first things you'll notice when he does a Blanca ball and you block it, that puts you in a weird amount of block stun. And some like for Nikali, you can punish that with uh, with medium slash, but you have to like the first time, it's almost no way you're going to punish it correctly the first time it happens or the first right. like ten times because it's such a weird amount of time that you're in block stun as compared compared to most other moves mm-hmm. um, that look like that. So there are little things like that about him. Plus, like, when he's in V-Trigger and he does uh, a Blanca ball that's, like, way unsafe, but because he's in V-Trigger, he gets to do another one, and, and essentially when you go to punish him, you get hit. Stuff like that's not going to work long-term, but you're definitely going to get some mileage out of it early on, and you're definitely going to get some mileage out of it when the character's not being played left and right. So I think that his spot on the tier list for those that would say, like Wolfgang that would say he's just outside of the top 10, it's a little bit inflated because of things like that. Yeah. But I do think that he's like, he's the character that Capcom was trying to make. He's the character that Blanca has been, yeah. where yeah. he's not the best, but he definitely has some goofy stuff that will will, will piss people off, um, that is weird, that almost nobody else on the cast has. So you have to kind of learn that specifically, and he's going to frustrate you, and he is what Blanca has essentially been over the years in, in this kind of like anomaly-esque character that that keeps you on your toes in some big ways and that that has merit to it you know that has some story that has something to talk about or gives us something to talk about i should say um so so it's interesting and and in that i think that that's a success on capcom's part um as well as his blanca chan costume which i think is the most notable thing about blanca (laughs) so far it's definitely gotten a ton of attention and and such rightfully so just to be specific here like do you put blanca actually in a viable tier like i for myself personally like i have him outside of the viable tiers i don't think he's a good enough character to compete at a tournament level at a consistent pace i think you can shock people with him i think that he's very shenanigan based i think a lot of people do not have high level blanca experience and i think they get by on that i think it's the same thing with alex uh alex is much worse but he's a shenanigan based character and if you don't know the shenanigans and you haven't practiced the matchup a lot you can get a lot of mileage out of those characters. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. I think that Blancas can win locals, mm-hmm. um, but I think when you get into like majors, you're you might see a Blanca crack top eight. Like maybe maybe Wolfgang talks cracks a top right. eight at a ranking right. event or even a premier event. Who knows? Right. Right. But to, for him to win the whole thing, uh, and 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 that might even happen. That could mm-hmm. happen. But as soon as you put Blanca on the radar of the pros and you have those Cami players studying the Blanca matchup, although I do hear that Blanca kind of counters Cami in some way, but I'm not sure exactly how. Isn't that um, the other way? Those... Doesn't Cami destroy Blanca? No, right. I've heard that oh, Cami really? loses to Blanca. Wow, um, okay. But, and, and I guess that's something that we should further investigate. I, I, I could reach out to Valle or Wolfgang and ask you know, the, the particulars of that. Um, but but yeah, so so I don't think that he's long term good. I think that he gets by on a lot of gimmicks and a lot of weird situations that at best, even if they're honest, they're 50 50 honest. So they'll only work half the time. And if that's the case, you might you, you might have a good day and eke out some wins. But then again, you might not. And that's not going to win tournaments for you. And it's especially not going to win tournaments at the highest of levels. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I put Blanca around the mid-tier uh, pretty consistently, pretty smack dab in the middle because of that. Okay, so where do you put Cody and Sagat in context to, to Blanca? Cody's better. Um, now, Cody had a lot of, of hype and interest 
and we saw Momochi play him at E-League, and I don't think Momochi has been playing him since. And I think Colleen that's mostly, going to... yeah, yeah. Momochi playing a Colleen now? Uh, no, no, Colleen, Colleen, sorry. Oh, Colleen, okay. Mm-hmm. I was like, what? <laughs> 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 yes, and I think she's a great character, and, uh, and it makes sense. So um, I think that Cody absolutely has potential. I don't know his glaring weaknesses, or I should say rather his like more nuanced weaknesses, where I think people would find out that he's that, that would be what would make him not that good. Because um, it seems like on the outside he's got great damage, great frame traps, um, a, a decent game for what Street Fighter V is, especially when he pops a V-trigger and he's got that frame trap, or I'm sorry, a command grab kind of mix-up that can yeah. really dole out the stun and the damage. Um, I don't think he's the best in the game. Uh, he might not be top five, well, certainly not top five, maybe not top ten, but he, I think he's better than Blanca, and I think he's in the viable tier. Okay. So I am a little bit perplexed that we're not seeing him as much. I think there was a there was a big flux when he first came out because people were interested, and we're not seeing as much of him these days. I, I would say around like the 15-ish area, but again, that's with not seeing a ton about him. Uh, yeah. I've only seen you know the highlights that people have brought forward in their combo videos and their damage output videos, but you really need to see these characters played in in tournaments to get an idea of how good they are and we're not seeing that a lot from him so it's either that he can't do it or i would i would attribute this more to people just haven't figured him out on that level yet and haven't brought that to the table yet so again it's hard to put him ironed down in a a fairly specific spot but i would say he's floating around the uh the area between mid and top tier somewhere in there so like kind of like a b kind of tier area no do you that have might be wrong but that's where i'm putting him right now do you have sagat or do you have uh cody um who do you have higher in those are are they about the same i uh, so i gotta i gotta disconnect or i gotta divorce the idea of fun versus viable with sagat because i think of sagat right now i'm like yeah he's awesome he's fun mm-hmm. is he viable well i've seen a decent amount of success in my own games playing only casual matches online um, against just pretty much anybody that comes up, um, I've been doing decently. And then when I lose, it's because I'm I just haven't optimized things yet, and I can clearly see where things would have gone differently. Mm-hmm. So uh, had I known the combo or had the muscle memory to perform the combo in the intense situation where I didn't do it or I dropped it or whatever. Um, so it's like my my vision of Sagat right now is if he's optimized, like he's pretty good. Uh, or rather, I would have really good results. I have decently good results right now, and I would have really good results. Now, this is online casuals. It's not tournament. So I'm kind of holding out for Sagat because I'm, I'm sure we'll see Bonchan. I want to see a few tournaments with Bonchan, and I'll be able to give you a much more uh, understood or, or a much better answer with a lot more understanding to it. But yeah, Bonchan controlling pretty much any character in the game is going to look good you know kind of thing right. well, is, uh, and it'll show so us the incredible. potential and yeah. it'll show us like maybe things that we're not doing with him that we could be doing to to further maximize uh efficiency and such yeah i want to say that sagat i feel like sagat's better than cody right now okay um but i don't say that with any kind of certainty because again right. i'm not certain on cody and and we i mean we've only had sagat for a week So to make those kind of calls is kind of silly at this point. With the limited information that I have, I want to believe that Sagat's better than Cody. Um, But, I mean, the the jury's still widely out on that one. 
Okay. Um, yeah. And I think you you put Cody above Sagat. I have I Cody above Sagat right now. Uh, I think Cody's just all around a little bit better. He's more well-rounded, but I, I think both characters are going to fall into the viable tier thing. I think that Sagat is going to be more popular because traditionally he's just been one of the more popular characters in the game. He's a king, baby. Yeah, I mean, he just, oh, there's so many Sagat fans out there and, and they're going to play the character, just love the character because it, it's he's, he's fairly true to what he's always been, which is great. Uh, Cody... Maybe not so much here, and uh, I can hear actually Macho Intentions and like just yelling from Sweden like about how bad <laughs> Cody got butchered in this game, <laughs> just from that statement alone, you know, kind of thing. But uh, uh yeah, um, I but I do think Cody is pretty good in this. I I I don't put him in like you know the top ten. I've got him somewhere around like the the mid to lower part of the viable characters in the game, like tournament viable characters. So we'll see where he ends up. Uh, there's a lot of you know room to grow there or not. But that brings us to uh, the big G in the room. Best, um, best DLC character in this season. Yes. And and that's still with, I haven't played as him. I've played against him a handful of times. I've watched, you know, like Nemo play him. Oh my gosh. The character's potential, the way he works, he's a damn anime character in in a fighting <laughs> game. And I don't, I, I mean, I haven't saltily, I, I don't say that was salt yet because I haven't run into a ridiculous G in like a tournament and just had my ass handed to me or something like that. I've played mostly Dream King's G and uh, and he, he's good and he's also a technical player so he's getting down like the G's like combos and things like that. Um it's interesting because he can get rushed down really hard. Yes. But uh, so he's like a hot and cold kind of thing. But then he can also rush down like crazy. And and I think we've talked about it before, saying he's like a more extreme Hakan in that when he has his his credentials and he has his presidentiality going, he's one of the best characters in the game. And then when he doesn't have that going, uh, he's he's got a big issue with a lot of people and um, and like a, like the rushdown is real against him so he's gonna be very hot cold but that's a very real tactic a very valid tactic to or, or approach to Street Fighter 5 uh, because like hey all you need is that burst of damage uh, burst of offense it doesn't matter where you get it and when you get it as long as you get it in the round that can be all that matters sometimes yeah, I've been playing and, Nephew. Uh, he's a, the Colleen player who's kind of come up out of nowhere. Um, yeah. A very good tournament player. I, he's been playing G a lot online, and he's been kicking my damn ass. And, and uh, I've played a number of G players, and, you know, I'm, I'm okay. You know, I'm, I can hold my own in Street Fighter V. Um, I'm not too bad kind of thing. This guy is destroying me. And, and his spacing and his understanding of G and what he's doing with the character right now. Uh, G has got like a fireball move that I'm like, oh, that kind of sucks. It's not that good. When it's spaced properly and and when it's timed properly, it's meaty. It's very hard to punish. Uh, it hits you at weird angles. And it's – I'm like, okay, I don't think G is a great zoner, but – when he's like zoning kind of from his mid range and using it to charge up his powers, he's actually not too bad. And, and what I'm finding with the character is that his strengths are all very, very good, and his weaknesses they're there, but they're not that pronounced. And, and again, I'm not saying, oh, gee, hands down, number one character, you know, he's unstoppable and all that kind of stuff. Just that, wow, is this character very good? Uh, I'm actually, I've got him right now in my top ten. Uh, I'm still hammering out where exactly in my top ten I've got him at because it's still so early. We're you know on week two and whatnot, but I'm having a difficult time not seeing him as one of the better characters in Street Fighter Five right now. Yeah, and and that just comes down to he has the tools to go crazy on you. Uh, also, when he's got V Trigger One popped and he gets to um, use his V Skill, but then it also shoots the Orb. The Orb is like a three hit 
move that is huge. And, yes. and a lot of times you want to try to like jump over it or jump back. It'll just hit you. It's fast and it's huge and it's very versatile. Um, little things like that. The fact that he has a command grab so you're never comfortable just sitting next to him. Uh, a lot of times command grabs, even if they're not amazing in and of themselves, the threat of them being there opens up the rest of your of your game, you know, of your offense. As a Nikali player, like that's something that's huge to to my offense. It's just the I just have to remind the opponent that the command grab is there more so than use the command grab. And uh, so that that's gonna augment any offense already. So uh, yeah, it, it's too early to tell exactly, but he's hovering around the high to top tier kind of area. We'll see where he lands when he when he finally comes down to a more solid um, placing, but uh, uh, very interesting. Some, some of our readers right now be, might be wondering this, and they're they're probably saying, okay, like you guys are saying, it's early for Sagat, it's early for Cody, it's early for G. How come you're placing G of all characters like in an upper echelon? above those other characters like why like how are well, you doing that you get to take a certain amount of your experience in fighting games and go okay i know the kinds of things that wind up being strong that lead to characters being topped here and then you also have to take into account the game that you're playing and what that game um, encourages for for you know top tierism or or status and so it's like if you're talking about Third Strike, there are certain things that you want out of your characters. If you're talking about Street Fighter Four, it's more about the ability to, you know, for footsies and conversion off of off of footsies into big damage. If you're talking about Five, it's um, the ability to rush down for the most part, or you know, super good zoning, things like that. And G shines in the in the category of rushdown. At least it seems that way with his forward movement and his amount of options to get close to you, and his manipulation of the uh, of the neutral. And so I think that those things are indicators. Um, so if you're if you're making a prediction or an estimation, he's got a lot of things that look like they'll take him far. That's about as far as I can go with my my estimations right now because we haven't seen them in full practice in tournament. But that's what I take. And then when you look at Sagat, we've talked about him extensively. He does zoning very well. Well, how good is zoning? Well, it needs to be absolutely amazing if he's going to thrive in Street Fighter V. And I don't think it's absolutely amazing. I think it's really good. Mm -hmm. Where will that put him? Probably mid-tier. So that's yeah. my thought process there. And then, like, you know, uh, yeah, we talked about... Just to, just to add in a, a, some more flavor here, it's... um. You can kind of see like a character's overall power level. Like when you get hit by a combo, are you looking at that and going, oh my gosh, that really hurt. I feel like I'm just on my butt now and I don't know what the heck I'm going to do versus if you get hit by a combo like with Falk, do you kind of, oh yeah, that hurt, but I'm, I'm okay, you know, kind of thing. And that's kind of like where you can start to see like a, the shape of the tears kind of happening at that point. Like when, when you get hit by a character's like kind of like bread and butter tactics, like how hurt are you? How devastated are you by that? And, and G seems to offer a lot of devastation in the grand scheme of things when when he's setting you up for stuff and i actually don't think I, I i did not think that g was much of a zoner and i still don't think it is i think it's a lot of nephew with this amazing spacing and uh just how he approaches a match um but but g does have zoning tools to get him around people because you know a main part of his tactic as we've talked about before is 
him step, stepping back away from people and and basically charging up all of his presidentiality meter and, and you know trying to get his resources going and that's a huge part of what he does and so Capcom gave him some tools to make it like hey you can't just you know run at me uh, he's not like Vega where it's pretty much like you just hold forward and hit buttons and he's dead you know kind of thing G actually has some anti-air and other things like that in, in that he can keep people away from him and do some stuff so yeah, and and little he has little things too like he can jump forward but then pop V skill and stop midair. So like he's a very big counter to Sagat it seems because yeah. throwing fireballs at G only helps him cuz he just absorbs them and builds his his V gauge. And uh and so you kind of have to try to rush him down and and then again if he's approaching from the air he can he can cut his jump short and then make you whiff a dp things like that so he's got like some very hard counters to sagat's go-to strategies right off the bat so i imagine he'll be uh, and he can get in pretty close pretty quickly with his rush um his rush up and things like that so yeah he looks like he's gonna do pretty good against zoning characters to begin with and um and 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 everybody i don't know like i guess if you rush g down and successfully there like he, he's kind of hot and cold in, in like we talked about earlier, the extremes, like he mm-hmm. can get rushed down. But um, so it'll be interesting to see where he lands. We'll have to see what his weaknesses are as well. And, and I want to throw out your credit again to Capcom. You spoke about it not that long ago. You said, hey, if you guys are only going to do six characters per season, each one of them needs to be a home run. And I think pretty much since we've had that podcast, each character they've done has been a home run, you know, kind of thing. And uh, we give Capcom some crap. Like, look, we're, we're going to call a spade a spade. It's like, look, if you release characters that suck and are very underwhelming, that's two, three, four, five months, whatever, out of the year that, that we're kind of sitting there like twiddling our thumbs and just playing the same game we've been playing. And that's not the point of Street Fighter V. It's we need new characters that breathe new life into the game, get everyone energized. And that's what G and Sagat and, and Cody definitely to some extent have done. And even if, you know, let's say Cody doesn't work out in the long run, that's fine. People got energized about the character for a month or two and were like, hey, is this something that, you know, we can we can roll with, you know, type stuff. And so tip my cap to Capcom. Uh, very good job there. Uh, but yeah. So yeah, I think like if I were to order them, Falk was the most underwhelming, both in um, audience attraction and performance in game. And then after that might be Sakura because there people love her like just to begin with. But like you said, that kind of counts against her when she's already got that running start and still kind of fell on her face more or less. Blanca, I think, is a little bit more viable. People kind of love Blanca and they kind of like playing him. So then he comes in next. Then Cody, who people love and he's decent. And so and, and then G and Sagat right up there. I think Sagat may edge G out, even though I feel like G's a better character because Sagat has such a legacy. Right. And like I said, right. he's so fun to play. Um, but and I think that really good move, Sagat and G. Pretty good move, Cody. Uh, decent move, Blanca, and then Sakura and, and even more so Falk is kind of a failure. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of of uh, Blanca, Sakura, and uh, and Falk all failures. Sorry, I just am. I I don't think Blanca works at all. I think he's pretty underwhelming. Uh, and then um, Cody, Sagat, and uh, G, I give him uh, two thumbs up with each of those characters. I think they did great. I uh, really couldn't ask for anything more with any of those three characters. So, mm-hmm. so, but I do think now that all the DLC are out, we're in a decently good spot right now. I think yeah. people are excited to play. And hey, we're in the post evil lull, and we're having a great time. Oh you know, yeah, it's not even that much of a lull uh, right now. At least it doesn't feel like that. People are excited to play, so uh, a good timing for these characters to come out and be successes. Right. So I want to transition here. Uh, Morgan VS is uh, one of our our readers, uh, listeners that actually pinged us with a bunch of questions here. 
And he wanted to have some explanations. Like he had a bunch of questions. Thank you so much for for sending these in. Um, and I want to start here with footsies in general and turn taking in Street Fighter Five. Like, what does that mean? And and just to kind of uh, backtrack here a little bit in terms of like footsies in Street Fighter Five are very much not traditional Street Fighter Five footsies. And you have um, any two D fighting game is very much about controlling space. And the way that you control space in Street Fighter Five is very preemptive. It's very much like it's not so much reactionary like it was in previous Street Fighter titles. It's more of like seeing a rhythm of where you think your opponent's going to be and what they might be doing based on their past, you know, instances. And, and again, it, it involves very heavily the commitment-based system in Street Fighter V. They want you committing to moves, to movement and everything like that. And if you make a bad commitment, you get blown up for it. Where in previous Street Fighter titles, like there were a lot of safer moves. There were a lot more safer approaches. And so the, the risk-reward was very much skewed into playing more defensive and more methodical. In, in Street Fighter V, you, again, you generally, the footsies in this game, uh, a lot of people laugh when we say footsies in Street Fighter V because it's like, it's not traditional Street Fighter footsies, but they're there. Um, it's, again, it's just, it's in that rhythm, it's in that that preemptive, I think you're going to do something, and so I'm sticking out a button. Um, very, uh, very rhythm and, and read-based gameplay. Yeah, absolutely. So, occupying the space that you think your opponent will be occupying uh, with a move or with a higher priority move um, using that priority system to beat out like you know if they're going to stick a button out will you use a, a higher priority button to counter that move um, that kind of comes down to the the footsies game in this in this particular iteration of street fighter so a lot of buffering by that i mean um, like i was talking about earlier with sagat doing crouching medium punch and then also immediately doing um, tiger knee and that way if the medium punch hits the tiger knee comes out but if it doesn't hit or make contact with the opponent the tiger knee doesn't come out um, and and doing that with a move that's safe is is best but if you're um, if you're not doing it with a move that's safe like I use Nikali for instance and a lot of my game is using his medium punch either standing or crouching and buffering that into slash I have to do the medium punch um, at a distance where it's not going to connect with an opponent if they're blocking. So it can only connect with the opponent if they extend into the area that I'm doing my punch. So I'm going to do it in a place that's actually going to whiff because um, if, if I hit them blocking, then I'm going to go into the slash and then I'm, I'm negative and then I'm going to get punished. But I'm doing it where they might stick their arm out or their leg out here and I'm going to hit that extension or they're going to walk forward and be hit because they, if they're doing a move or they're walking forward, they can't be blocking, right? So that's a big part of the footsie game here. Like you said, preemptive because I'm not seeing them do a move and then documenting that in my mind and then pressing a button on reaction to hit the recovery. That's possible, especially with... Um, heavy moves but not as prevalent as it was in street fighter 4 that was a the main like, kind of engine of street fighter 4 in street fighter 5 it's just more of a pre uh, predictive um process right and so now to get into turn taking and, and this is like you know we talk about it being like hey i i just you know was beating up on nikali uh for five seconds and i made him block like this many mix-ups now it's like your turn basically and how you figure out like what is your turn in the game is you have to study frame data or at least like understand the, the properties of like you know hit and block stun and where an opponent is leaving gaps and whatnot and if those gaps are a real gap are just a beat to actually get you to hit something and unfortunately i don't have a better way of describing turn taking besides like get good and i really hate saying something like that but it really just comes from experience and that's it's, all that 
it's your turn when your fastest move will beat anything else that the opponent does. Mm-hmm. With the exception of an invincible move, and that's we'll, we'll get into that. That's kind of like the interruption to turn-taking, and that's why some people don't even like the, the, the terminology turn-taking, although I, I, I'm completely behind it. I think it works. Um, but it's your turn when your character can do their fastest move, and any button that your opponent presses will get beaten by that fast move. Because that puts them essentially on defense. They are not at advantage, they're at disadvantage. And so now you have like the balls in your court. And and um, the massive exception we're, we're looking at here, because you love to bring this up, is Birdie. And Birdie is a classic character of, hey, I just did, you know, a, a Zonk headbutt or I did my bull rush. It should be your turn. It's not really your turn. If you hit a button, you die. Well, and, and that's that's one of the biggest problems I have with Street Fighter Five mm-hmm. are, are moves that are designed to like when when you design a move, you make it with a certain amount of risk and reward. So yes. like the most basics of it, if it's like if it's really quick, um, then it's not going to do a ton of damage, right? Or if it's really slow, it's going to do a lot of like damage, or it's going to give you a lot of advantage, or vice versa, whatever. But you have to make the risk worth the reward, and so. Birdie has like for instance his like his headbutt his or not his headbutt his EX rush it leaves him minus five so the idea here is that moves really good it does a lot of damage it does a lot of chip he can combo into it yada yada uh but the thing is it's minus five so technically it's punishable right because if, <laughs> if it's minus five all characters have uh, you know four frame or quicker moves the thing about it is it spaces him away in such a way where your fast moves that punish him don't reach him. So what ends up happening is if you try to use those moves to punish him, you whiff because you just reach into the space in between and then he's recovered and then he hits you for whiffing a move. So essentially this move that does carry with it the reward that it should doesn't actually carry the risk. He doesn't actually lose his turn all that much. And that's the issue that I take with, well, one of the issues that I take with those moves and those kinds of moves that are fairly prevalent in Street Fighter V. Yes, very. Um, but again, very. that's 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 kind of a, um, you know, like a, an amendment to it or, or, or a, an exception to this. Well, the it, basics it's, of, of, it, it's of, very, uh, it's very character and matchup based too. Um, like John hates birdie, like hates him with a passion. I actually don't mind birdie as a monot player. Like birdie's like, oh, I'm like, whatever. Cause I, most... I do have fun playing birdie, but, but I don't like, it just sucks losing to that. Yes. Uh, but now we, we change courses here and you know, you, we, we put Abigail up against monot and I go, Oh, I hate that character. And John's like, Abigail, he's not even, a problem kind of thing and it, it's again it, it does come down to the matchups a lot like Nicali is very stubby and so when it's his turn um, if, if your disadvantaged moves leave you pretty close to Nicali he's good to go but Birdie pushes you pretty far away and that starts making your turns happen less and less and less and hence why we have matchup tiers and other things like that because it, everything is is skewed based on what you know what perspective you're seeing it from your own character and what you play kind of thing it's uh, i remember this very infamously i was complaining up and down about abigail along with like half the internet and, and john velociraptor was like what's your problem with abigail he's not even that good you know kind of thing i'm like what i'm like what's wrong with you kind of thing and it turns out that nicole is actually one of uh, uh, Abigail's worst matchup, maybe his worst matchup, um, and, and he wasn't seeing things because it's like, yeah, the character's good, but it's not that big of a problem because I'm not having to deal with this. And 
And so the turn-taking concept and all that kind of stuff, it really does come back to what your character has for options or what they don't have. And, and, and so you might have a fascinating button, but you might be out of range a lot of times to do much there. And then you get baited and crash-countered and you're dead, you know, kind of thing. So it's, there's a lot, of, a lot of experience that comes in when knowing when it's your turn. And then a lot of tech that comes in, too, where you normally might be stuck in block stun for two, three, four, five seconds, whatever, you know, kind of thing, a long time where you feel like, damn, I'm just sitting here blocking. But as we've talked about before, a character like Laura, um, she has her thunderclap or her fireball move. Um, If you jab her out of it with a crouching light kick, all of a sudden your turn happens a heck of a lot more often. And so there's a lot of tech here that goes along with the experience and knowledge and stuff. But yeah, I'm I'm kind of a big believer. It's like, yeah, unfortunately, you just kind of have to get good to learn it. But that's the philosophy of it. There's there's always a counter to something that you can do um, that whether it's like, you know, hey, the counter might just be, yeah, you do have to block more, you know, kind of thing. But sometimes it's like not letting the, the person get into that space to make it so that you have to block for five seconds. So there's there's a lot of explanation there and and a kind of a, a couple of exceptions to the rule. But if you're just coming into the idea of turn taking in Street Fighter or in fighting games in general, all you need to know is it's your turn when your fastest button is uh, will will stop anything else that the opponent does. Yeah. With the exception, of course, of an invincible reversal like a like a super or like an EXDP, because obviously that is, um, I mean that that's what kind of throws the wrench into the works. That even though I've I've left myself at disadvantage, where like I'm minus two, where you know it that that's a that's a situation where it's very much your turn. If I do a move and you block it, and that move leaves me at minus two, that means even if I have a three frame move, it's gonna take five frames for that move to come out, right? Because I have to wait for those two frames that I'm at disadvantage plus the three frames of my three frame move. And in that time, you have moves that are faster than five frames. So if I push any button, I'm risking getting frame trapped. I have to block because it's no longer my offensive turn. But of course you can do a, a move that's minus two and then rip an EXDP. And when your opponent goes in to try to, to try to punish you or to try to take their turn, I should say, you interrupt them because you're invincible. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's the basics of it. When you're risking getting frame trapped, it's not your turn. Gotcha. Um, so another concept that that uh, Morgan VS asked about was uh, projectiles, basically. And projectiles are very toned down in Street Fighter Five, but they're still a thing, especially if you don't know how to deal with them. Well, they're coming back with Guile and with Sagat and such. So I mean, they're 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 having more of a presence than they did, I think, in season one, especially the early days of season one. Right. And. <sighs> Almost all fireball players, like I don't care how good you are with the fireball, you have a pattern somewhere in there. Uh, a lot of the patterns, like Daigo is infamous for for doing a lot of baits in there. He makes it seem like, oh, there's an opening, jump at me, now you're dead, you know, kind of thing. And and uh, oh, I think I saw some footage of Punk actually playing Sagat, and he found the sweet spot. And he's like, if I get here, it's a 10-0 matchup, you're dead, you know, kind of thing. And he just kept throwing fireballs, and like the it was unfortunately against Ryu, so yeah, I don't know. But <laughs> um, anyway, but the Ryu player kept jumping and dying and whatnot. And it's uh, okay. So so the basic philosophy of projectiles is. They're, they're like any button in a fighting game, you know, kind of thing. There's just a button that travels full screen and has a lot of startup and recovery, typically. Um, they just, you know, the range is a classic, you know, thing. If you've got a long range move, it usually has some pretty, you know, big drawbacks and whatnot. Unless you're Guile. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> anyway, uh, so 
you you want to throw these moves out here with some kind of, of thought process in mind. If you're just throwing out a fireball to like throw it out, like you're not doing yourself any good. You want to bait your opponent into jumping or positioning themselves somewhere on screen where you have an advantage and they do not. You're, you're trying to manipulate your opponent with long range moves basically to get them somewhere where you have an advantage or they do something stupid basically. You know, and I think we'd be remiss if we didn't bring up this uh, tried and true commentary on this uh, one of the most notable uh, zoning or, or fireball slash uppercut uh, players of all time, John Choi, yep. one of uh, America's um, best Street Fighter Two players, um, said that fireballs, you treat them as essentially um, extensions of your normals. You treat them yep. as if they like, you know, like a dalsum long reaching punch. Think of a fireball like that. Like it's just an extension of your own normals. So you're just using it as like a, a really long attack. Mm-hmm. Um, that, but you treat it as though it's like an extension of your character's arm or leg. Um, in that you are, are simply using it as a poke and, and you use it to, like you said, manipulate your foe to getting to a place on the screen that you want them in, locking them down, making them jump, um, and and a lot of times, especially once you, the opponent gets within jumping distance, you use the threat of the fireball uh, to to manipulate them into moving forward or jumping forward, I should say, so you can anti-air them. Yeah, it, it, fireballs are very timing based. They're very. Um... It, 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 so let's let's put it, you know us on the other end of things and say how do we deal with someone who's I, I have to play John Choi now you know kind of thing this is a fireball master everyone as I said before has a pattern and you want to break their pattern and their timing and if they are expecting you to jump at that time you're going to eat a DP to the face that's what happens you know type thing and if they're not ready for you to either approach on the ground or the air they're creating small gaps where they're reacting to basically to what you're doing. Um, you don't do preemptive DPS unless you're crazy. Um, <laughs> uh, you're, yeah, you're you're reacting basically every single time to to someone jumping or doing something, and so those little gaps are creating in there. You can walk forward. Uh, you can do a, a tactic they call bulldogging, which basically means you're advancing on the screen and you're getting closer to your opponent. As you mentioned with Sagat, Sagat does not want you point blank. He wants you a little further out. And so he can get, you know, most of his stuff off. And if you're that close, he's got to take a risky EXDP to get you out again. So when you're dealing with projectiles, uh, you have to have a game plan in mind and you have to be looking for what the opponent is doing for a pattern. Do they do they chuck two of them in a row and then wait for you to jump? And obviously, if uh, they're waiting for you to jump, don't jump, dash forward, do something else that, that pushes you closer to them so that you can break their pattern and get out of their setups, basically. Um, it's rare. And yeah, you, you do see it here and there. But like most fireball players have a, a pattern set up. They're very set up and, and timing based. And that's the core basis of actually how you use projectiles is is you you leave very small gaps in there that are hard for the opponent to navigate around and you very much frustrate them by spamming that stuff over and over again and it's just really hard to deal with it because just the gaps are so small and you mess up one time you're on your back and you have to get through that that maze again the um, what was it uh, the Morgan's you know fireball spam type stuff they exist it's just it's very hard to navigate. Yeah, and um, so I think you said most of everything that I would have uh, mentioned in there. The only thing um, I'll say is that if you are trying to get in on a fireball throwing character slash player, 
it's just important to remember that there are multiple options, especially mm-hmm. when it feels like there are not. They can't occupy both the air and the ground at the same time. They can't occupy counters to an air approach and a ground approach at the same time. So it'll feel initially like the only thing you can do is jump forward over the fireballs. Um, neutral jumping a fireball is very good because the fireball stays on the screen and they can't throw another one when that fireball's on the screen so that gives you an opportunity to move forward mm-hmm. knowing that they can't throw another one in that time um another it, thing that, is like and it just just added, that also breaks up their timing because they're used to you blocking a fireball or getting hit by it so they can throw another one and the fact that fireball is on screen for a while it breaks their timing and they're like ah crap like i can't do that over again it's why neutral jumping is very good and if you play Guiles a lot, if you neutral jump a fireball, a lot of times you'll see them throw out like a back fist yep. right afterwards. It's not there. That's not a back fist. That was another fireball yes. or like just a standing punch button. Um, that was them trying to throw another fireball, but you, they couldn't because you had the other one still on the screen instead of getting absorbed by your block. Um, another thing is fireballs don't hurt that much. Mm-hmm. Take a fireball when you're walking forward. Jump, jump, like getting anti-aired hurts a lot more and it usually leads to um, some kind of a setup, like an offensive setup where you have to like deal with that. Walk forward and block a lot isn't isn't something that people don't think about. They think about jumping forward because you can get a huge damage jump in and, and it, you know, completely avoids the chip damage slash getting hit, you know, damage from the fireball. Walking forward, even if you get hit, so what? Take a few of them, bulldog your way in, like you said. Um, the the ground avenue is very important in the fireball manipulation game of trying to get in. So just walking forward, not dashing as much, because right. dashing leaves you open, it's similar to a jump. Um, but walking is, is a huge thing. And if you're walking forward and you get into their range where they're not comfortable because they're a zoner and they don't want you there, that's going to send them into panic mode a lot of times, and that's going to open up all your other options. There you go. Uh, last thing we've got here, you guys, uh, for the podcast here, we're getting long uh, in uh, uh, time running here, so we should uh, wrap this up. But uh, Morgan VS asked, obvious roadblocks for all players. And uh, I mean, my goodness, how many things here you know can set you back? But to me, this, this jumped out at me as a, like – why am I losing? And, and like, why Why did I lose that matchup and whatnot? And people tend to get hung up like on something that it seems like it, there's legitimacy to it, but actually it's one of the things that like you really don't want to focus on, like why you lost. And that's like actually losing on 50-50s. Like I made the wrong guess. It's like, guess what? Like everyone makes the wrong guess. Uh, honestly, usually it's before the 50-50 happened that you want to be looking at. And if you know an opponent like say you're playing Laura and whatnot and her option is either to you know do a standing medium punch into a combo to kill you or it's you know to do a command grab and you know you jumped and she actually did you know her anti-air button and you died kind of thing it's like you know you're making a guess at that point don't get hung up on that like that's not going to help you but what you want to do is go back and kind of look at your replays uh it's very easy with Street Fighter 5 and most modern games now and then look at what you're consistently taking damage on it, you don't want to look for isolated incidents like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I jumped here, you know, and I got DP'd, whatever, you know, type of stuff. That's fine. Like, you're playing a fighting game. You're going to, you know, make bad choices. You're going to make the wrong reads. Who cares? That doesn't matter. What you want to see are patterns. You want to see, like, you know what? Like, every single time someone, like, uh, uh, goes for, you know, a, a meaty, I'm always going for a throw tech, and I'm consistently getting blown up by that. It's like, I really need to block more often when I'm in, like, an oaky situation and whatnot. You want to try to find what your consistent flaws are and approach those and try to basically find either counters for it or find other ways of dealing with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, I like a lot of what you said there. Uh, I found that 
in my earliest days, and this is still a problem for me, but in my earliest days, and this was Street Fighter Four, so crouch teching was a big thing. Uh, for quickly, uh, crouch teching is where you you press, you're crouching and you press grab at the same time. And in Street Fighter Four, that would manifest as a uh, as like a light kick, or I think it was a light punch. Yeah, a light punch would come out, and if they tried to grab you, you would tech their throw. And mm-hmm. so it was a very strong technique, but it would get blown up by frame traps because um, it wasn't my turn when I pressed that. <laughs> so uh, what would happen is people would get in my face. I played Goken, so I was trying to zone them, but they would get in my face. And then once they were there, all they had to do was frame trap me. And over and over and over again, I would get hit. And, and at, at first I was like, what do I do? I have no idea because I'm always afraid of the throw. And people would sniff that out, and that was my pattern that I was doing wrong as I was too afraid to get thrown. Sometimes, especially in Street Fighter V, you take the throw. Um, but um, I remember my friend Abe saying, I, I was like, what do I do here? He's like, well, you ride the storm out. The answer to you know what you're doing is you just block and don't worry about the throw. And eventually, the player that's playing you will do a, so many normals that they'll push themselves away and reset the situation. And, um, and yeah, you might get thrown, but you, right now you, you're, you're trying to avoid that throw is killing you. So you need to pepper in the other um, option there to make sure that you're keeping a balance between your options in this particular situation. Mm-hmm. So identifying little things like that where you're choosing one option in a certain situation over and over again because that's just what your fingers are comfortable doing is, uh, is a huge thing. And, and not going to the other side where you just always block and just get thrown all the time, but having a healthy balance where your opponent doesn't know what you're going to do in any one situation. And just to piggyback on what you're saying, it's it's really good advice and people might be like, well, like, just take the throw is a bad idea because I'm like, at some point someone's going to realize that, you know, they can just keep throwing me over and over again and they're right. But you kind of deal with that when it comes. Like at that point, like you start like um, you start adjusting your strategy to to wrap your head around okay like i can throw tech like every like three times now or something like that you start you build a base um a foundation of your gameplay that works well for you and then you kind of expand out from there on things you need to do so um but i'll I'll also add that that things can get very overwhelming when you're looking at your replays and you're seeing things that you're doing wrong because if you're a a player of kind of like the silver or gold or lower ranks um, there's probably 50 things you're doing wrong. Hell, I'm 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 super diamond, and there's probably 100 things I'm doing wrong every single match. You know, like I I, I probably couldn't list how many things. Like if you know Justin Wong like looked at a replay, he'd be like, oh my god, like where do I where do I start at, dude? Uh, and so that gets very overwhelming very quickly. And you want to look at about one to three things and write them down somewhere and just kind of remind yourself that hey, this is stuff I'm working on, and I'm gonna try to get better at it. If you write down all 50 things or all 100 things that you're struggling with, it's overwhelming. And and trying to juggle that amount of information while you're playing a very intense fighting game is almost impossible. I don't know anyone can do that. If you can do that, I take my hat off to you. Um, you want to focus on one to three things. Remind yourself of them you know, before and after and during play sessions as much as you can that, hey, I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to add it in. And then with time, what will happen is you will start doing that stuff without having to think about it. You will have to, you will just, it will naturally be a part of your play style and you'll get quite a bit better. Like if, let's say you're, you need to work on anti-airs and whatnot, all of a sudden, like you'll have to, you'll stop reminding yourself that you need to anti-airs more consistently 
and you'll just kind of do it and you'll be able to, you know, open up your mental capacity for something else, basically. Um, and, and again, Street Fighter V is, is an example here. Uh, the juggling pins, giving your opponent too much to juggle and they can't process and they die. That's very much a part of this game. You don't want to do that to yourself. You don't want to have so many things that you're trying to juggle in your head uh, because you're going to start playing like garbage, you know, kind of thing. So you do take a step back with this practice. Like when you're trying to juggle, you know, brand new tactics and whatnot, like you're you're going to be slipping up mentally because you're trying to add new things into your game. That's okay. It's the long road you're trying to get better. And it's okay to lose a little bit along the way of trying to get good because that's just part of the process. It's what we all do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, uh, uh, John, unless you've got anything to add, I think that we're at an hour and a half here for the pod, so we should probably wrap this up. But uh, yeah, but yeah. Uh, again, thank you to uh, is it VS Morgan or Morgan VS? I, I confuse a little time. Morgan VS, thank you very much for uh, sending those questions. And there's actually a f- I think a few more into uh, that 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 person sent in. So we'll get to those at a later point. But again, um, any anyone that has any questions like that about anything that you think we have uh, the ability to answer, at least uh, in part. Please send them our way in, in comments or uh, tweet us at um, hashtag Event Hubs Podcast with your questions, and we'll try to get to them at the end of, um, of future episodes and such. But we very much appreciate that you send in, lets us know that you're listening and such, and, uh, and that's a good thing. So thank you guys so much, uh, and we will see you soon. All right, see you guys next week.